And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, talking about the coming of the Lord, and it says this, and I don't know if the guys are able to put it on the screen, it says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? See, there's a, there's a lot that the Bible says uh, about what is to come and, and what we should have confidence in and the joy of the Lord, and there should be joy. And the thing is, if we have the idea that the only thing that we have to look forward to at the end is the seven years of tribulation, you're going to pull the joy right out of the church. I mean, I'm just, I just want you to be honest. And the thing is, what we're about to get into, you're, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to explain why. There is no verse in the Bible that I can say, turning your Bibles now so we can look at to say that the church will not go through the tribulation. So, oh, that's the whole point of tonight. Why did we even come? What we're going to do is we're going to take all the supporting scripture and put the pieces together to explain that. Because if it would be easy if, if I could just open our Bible right now and say, you will not go through the tribulation. All right, God bless you. You are dismissed. It'd be as easy as that. So what we do is we interpret scripture in light of all that the Bible teaches. It's, it's one of the laws of hermeneutics. You do not just take a verse, pull it out of context, and then you can misconstrue it. What we want to do is we want to break it apart in light of all that the Bible teaches. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to 65 different verses tonight. So what we're going to do is a lot of this is going to be on the screen, but if you want to follow along for the most part of it, a lot of what we're going to do is be reading through Revelation. So if you want to kind of park somewhere, I would challenge you to park in the book of Revelation. But what does the Bible say about the coming of Christ? Well, let me tell you, there's two comings of Christ, if you will, at the end that we're going to dissect or look at. The one is the rapture. Now, we're going to explain that here in a minute of where we get that terminology. But that is the coming of the Lord for the church. And then the second is the, what we call the second coming. The reason why it's called the second coming of Christ is there was already a first coming. That is when Jesus was born in a manger, died on the cross, rose again, and returned up into heaven. So we have the two coming of Christ. And you say, why is the rapture when the Lord comes back for us not considered one of the coming of Christ? Because the Bible explains that, that he is going to come and call us up or call us out. And we will meet the Lord in the air. So he's not actually coming to the earth. And that is what makes a distinction of those two things. I'm going to read a passage to kind of lay the foundation of this as we get started. And I'm going to go all the way to the book of Isaiah, chapter 46 and verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Here's the thing, God has it all figured out. He's, he's not trying to put us through confusion. It's not a matter of God wanting us to live in fear. And then that's, uh, there's so many points that I'd like to live out of here. That's, if I was to explain to you the, the tribulation period of what is to come, and then say, oh my goodness, I am scared to death, I would have to come back to you and say, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. So we're going to get into this and explain exactly what's going on. I want to start, and I'm going to run through this as I do this, because I know for the sake of time, we could go on for hours with this. That's why we're breaking this into six weeks. And we're, we're going to be breaking down various passages and different subjects. 
everything dealing with the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ. And, and I hear different people make statements that I think, that's not true. We flippantly say these things. And I don't even think people, Christians, actually know what they're talking about when they'll say something like, one day you're going to answer to God for that. Well, Christians will not stand in judgment. You say, well, or, and you say, I'm confused on them. That's why we have to get into this. You see, our sins were judged on the cross. And you say, well, what does that have to do? Because one day we will stand before God. Yes, we will stand before God, but it's a different judgment between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. And you say, well, I, I don't get that. That's why I'm asking you, please come back. Please come back and not just have a flippant thing of saying, well, that's what I've heard my whole life, or that's what I've said my whole life, just like we're looking in tonight. A lot of Christians that I've talked to, they say, well, I don't believe we're going to go through the tribulation period. And I'm like, that, that's great. I don't believe that either. Give me something to stand on. Give me verses. Give your children verses. Give them something to where they can turn in their Bible and say, this is why I believe this. So what I want to do is I want to bring you through a timeline. We're going to start in the New Testament. I want to begin with the cross. We're beginning with the cross because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John explains the cross of Jesus Christ. It's during this time that we're given hope. Starting in the book of Acts, we have the church age. That is the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of the truth, the dispensation of grace that God has put it upon us, that we might be saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is all the way from Acts to the book of Jude. In the book of Revelation, we start a whole new thing. The Bible unveils what is to come. For the first three chapters in that passage, or in the book of uh, Revelation, the unveiling, uh, we come across what the Bible explains about the churches. The churches are explained within the seven candlesticks, representing the seven church ages. Now, if you get in there, you're going to see, and it goes from one to the next and explains the church. The church is mentioned in Revelation from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And chapter 4 is where we come in as, as our doctrine or what we believe. And I want, to, I want to kind of fill in the blanks and explain to you why I feel this way or why I believe that the Bible teaches this of Revelation being, chapter 4 being uh, the rapture. The rapture is not mentioned in the Bible in the terminology that we use. The word rapture comes from the phrase to be caught up. It comes from the Greek word and we interpret it today and use the word rapture for that same phrase in the Bible to mean caught up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, and I'll read it and we'll also be on the screen as we go through this. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, that word right there is where we get our word rapture, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is important. I say why this is important, because this is where we come out with our doctrine of being raptured out or being caught up to be with the Lord. That is the doctrine of that. We will be caught up together, the Bible says. In Matthew 24, verse 44 the Bible says, therefore be ye also ready for an hour that ye think not the Son of Man cometh. When that catching up or being caught up or being uh, brought up to be with the Lord, we do not know. The thing that I can tell you, it's going to come at an hour that you think not. You say, well, why are you making a big deal out of that? Well, that's how I'm going to close because I want to prove a point with that. 
Then we get to the description in chapter 4 and 5, the description of heaven. And the Bible says in verse 1 of that, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the voice of the uh, which I heard was as a, as a trumpet talking with me and said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. This is where we get that if we were to lay out the timeline where we believe falls in the rapture. And I'm going to go back to this to revisit that to explain that. But this is our first glimpse of heaven. It's where we see the praise of the angel and praise of saints. We see the thunder and lightnings representing the mighty power of Jesus Christ and God sitting on the throne. We come into his presence. We see praise. We see them casting their rewards before the Lord. Revelation chapter 4 verse 10 comes in and says, And the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. After this we come to what we call the beginning of the tribulation. The seven years of tribulation that the Bible describes. This part of the Bible is not in theory. It is in fact. The Bible goes through in very vivid detail. If you've ever done devotions to try to put yourself to sleep at night, Revelation is not the book that you turn to. I can promise you that. Besides the fact of hearing about the symbolism, interpreting all that, the other part that you don't want to hear is finding out that the gates of hell were open and there's a beast, and the Bible describes the beast, and the beast was loose upon the earth, having the head of a lion and the, uh, the tail of a scorpion went around torturing people day and night, and they could not cry out, and they try to kill themselves and they can't. Sounds like great reading material to put yourself asleep. But these things are true. Greater than anything that Hollywood could ever describe. And I do believe with all my heart that every time Satan puts out one of these horror movies that try to distort our thinking of what is, is, is to come of demons and all these other things, those things will really come. And it won't be a, a, a movie title that will be coming. It will be the wrath of God that will be coming. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, it kicks off, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard it was a noise of thundering. The noise of the beast saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to be conquered. Or, or, and to conquer. Everything in this is symbolic. And I'd, I'd love to take the time and sit there and go on through. And I've done that before. The white horse symbolizing peace. And the bow represented the power. And the crown represented the authority. And Satan comes to bring peace upon the earth. And all these things that come out crying, peace, peace. But then we get from there, we begin this series of judgments that are being poured out upon the earth. God himself is pouring out judgment. The reason why this is so hard for us to understand is because all we know of, of our God and what we preach and teach is, cry out to him for he is a merciful God. Cry out to him for he is a loving, forgiving God. In this passage, he is not. It's not that he's saying that he's not loving and mercy, but there's a come where he becomes our judge. And God is judging the earth for their sins. This is not me making it up. This is one after another. And God calls these angels to pour these things out. And so we get to the trumpet judgments. Then we get to the bowl or the vile judgments. And then the seven years comes to the end. And then we come to the second coming of Christ in Revelation 19. I know we're going fast. I'm just trying to lay out a, a, a timeline here. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. 
and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had the name written on it that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And here's the cool part. It says, And the armies which were in heaven followed upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth sharp sword, and he that should smite the nations and should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. This is where we come into the battle of Armageddon. Chapter 9, verse 19, and it mentions these things about the armies being formed together. Then we get into some things that a lot of people honestly don't talk a lot about because they don't totally understand. We get into the millennial reign of Christ. We come to the end of the tribulation period of the thousand years reign. We, We talk about the great white throne judgment. And then we talk about the lake of fire. And I love the description that God gives us about God himself coming over and taking the old serpent that is mentioned all the way in Genesis and casting him into the lake of fire. And death and hell were cast into them. And this is the final judgment. And after the final judgment, the Bible shows us as believers. I don't know, and and I've heard this and I could not take you to prove this. But I know after the judgment, immediately following is when the Bible says, and he shall wipe away all the tears from our eyes. And all I can think is that we will be witnessing that last judgment. And and that, that symbolism of God wiping away our tears goes a whole lot deeper than just wiping, you know, our tear ducts off our faces. It's talking about wiping away the sorrow. Only God can do that. Because I promise you, it would not be heaven. It would not be rejoicing if forever we had that image in our mind of what happened. The Bible says, and he shall wipe away the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, no more sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I want to go back. The question comes up where different people believe is where within that time period that I mentioned is the catching up or the snatching away or the rapture of us? Where is that mentioned in the Bible? Or how do we know when it's going to happen? There are three theories that you'll find. Some people will come up to you and ask you, where does your church stand or what do you believe? They'll mention the word pre-trim, which means that the rapture takes place before the tribulation period. You have mid-trib theory. People think that the rapture happens smack in the middle of the tribulation period. And the tribulation period is divided into three and a half years and three and a half years. And then post-trib, the rapture takes place, what people believe, at the second coming of Christ. Meaning that the second coming of Christ and the rapture are one and the same. And it's another doctrine that's taught. Which happens at the end of the seven year period. Like I said before, there is no verse that comes out and states with any of this and says, and this is the rapture that happens here. So what do we do? We study scripture. We compare scripture to scripture and believe, uh, and explain why some reasons are. And, and I, I researched this and I try to get it and I'm still doing this. And next week when I stand up here, I'm planning and coming back to you again because I've had different people that have said, have you thought about this or thought about that? And I thought, man, you know what I want to do? I want to go back and research this. This is what we don't do. Just so you know, you don't stand up there and say, well, Baptists don't believe that. That, that doesn't mean nothing. To, to have that as your answer or my church doesn't believe or we grew up not believing doesn't matter. 
The only thing that matters is rightly dividing the word of truth. That is what we're called to do. So we take our Bible, and if somebody comes up and challenges you, you don't get offended, you don't get upset, you don't go to war with them. Iron sharpeneth iron. You say, man, let me listen to what you have to say. The Bible says, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. We get into the word of God, and the only thing that's going to ever happen to you is you're going to walk away learning something, which, by the way, is a good thing. So let's turn to Revelation. Now I want to explain to you four theories or four reasons that I'm telling you from my pastor and as a pastor of the church why I am confident or why I believe this. And the reason why I'm doing this is because me and Jenny were, were driving around and I'm, I was sitting there and I was telling her, I said, and I, we got on this thought and I was like, you know another thing? And what I don't get? And I, I started rattling off. So I started creating this outline and a, and a spiritual uh, iron sharpeneth iron in our car driving uh, from uh, Alabama to here. So we're, we're going to get into all this tonight. I want to go back to Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. And I want to go into, and I, I want to kind of break this down and explain the church age. Now, from chapter 1 to chapter 3, the church is mentioned. The church, the church, the church, the church. Actually, it's over and over and over and over again. It is, it's a complete description of the church. And just so you guys know, we are described as the church of Laodicea, which is the apathetic day and age. And you can see that all around us. And uh, after that, we get to chapter 4. And let me just state... From chapter 4 on, there's no more mention of the church. You say, why is that a big deal? Because the, the whole New Testament is the church. That, that's what I'm trying to say. The, the whole New Testament, everything that God has called us to do is the church, the church, the church, to rise up, to come together, to assemble, to fight, to everything that's called to do. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever say, and at some point I'm going to ask you to stop being the church. Now, you do mention saints in the Bible, but I, I'm, I'm talking about the church itself, of collectively, of what we have here. And so we get into this, and I want, I want to show you some things that stood out to me. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and I know we're in Revelation, but I want to point this out. For the Bible says, for the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God. The thing that the Bible distinguishes of him calling out or calling us up to him is with the trumpet talking to me and the calling out of the church, which is the same terminology that is mentioned. And you say, well, that's not a firm foundation. Please listen to me. All I'm trying to do is compare scripture to scripture here. When in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, he says this. When he was called up to heaven, when he was called up to heaven and says, and a trumpet of God talked to me, which said, come up hither. So that's why a lot of us believe that and we get that terminology. And the Bible says the second thing that happened, and immediately he was in the spirit before the throne of God, which is what God promises. I know we sing this song, but let me just bust your bubble with something. The song that we sing, I'll Fly Away, is not biblical. <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, it sounds good. Get the banjo going and tap your leg. Uh, but we're not, none of this is going to be going on. <laughs> And I mean, I know that there's a passage in the Old Testament that, that mentions this. But I know the Bible talks about a snatching away. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So if you're going to flap some wings, it's going to be a really fast flapping. That's all I'm saying. It just... Again, we get into this um, area, this 
this symbolism of us looking into heaven. And remember this is all symbolic. The next thing that we see after the snatching away is we come into what the Bible speaks of the elders. And a lot of people wonder, what is the elders? There's a lot of debate of what those elders are. I say, why are you bringing that? Because if we can prove that those are us, that proves that we are snatched away sitting before God, which would prove that to begin with. I have read, and the, the thing that makes the most sense, because everything, the seven candlesticks and the stars and all those other things, everything has significance. The thing that made the most sense when I was reading it about Y24, it was representing, or what people say, was representing the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and then the 12 disciples of the New Testament, representing all that were there, Old Testament and New Testament. You say, what else do you have to prove that? The next thing that we see that the Bible says they are clothed in white. And the description given to us that has been given us through the New Testament of being clothed in the righteousness of God. The next thing that I can show you about them is they had crowns on. Now, this is kind of where we separate anything else that could be there of the theories. No angel at any point in time ever wore a crown. You say, why is that important? Because the Bible has given us the instructions of what we do here on the earth is we serve the Lord, not for the treasure, but for the glory of God. But I do know that we will receive the reward of what we do. The Bible mentions the crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown, the crown of life, the crown of glory, the crown of uh, that we talked about of the, for those that love his appearing and the things that I opened up with there. They represent the service of the Lord, our obedience and the mission that God has given us while we're here on earth. And the Bible doesn't say anywhere about angels receiving crowns. Revelation chapter 4 verse 10, and then it gets into this, and the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever ever, casting their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. Why were we created? We were created for the glory of God. It is us. Before they open the seal to begin the tribulation period of God, they call out the words, who is worthy? And I know in our minds you're thinking they already know that, but the symbolism is so powerful because they begin to weep and they begin to say, who is worthy to do that? And then if you read that, I wish we had time, it comes out and says, for the Lamb of God stood before them and he rose up and he said, he is worthy to open the seals. And just that symbolism is so exciting for us as Christians. And then we read verse 10. And it has made us unto gods and kings and priests and shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard a voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, who uh, worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, glory and honor and blessings. And after that, we come to chapter 6. And then I saw the Lamb open the seals, and I heard it was a voice of noise of thundering, one in four beasts saying, come and see, and the tribulation begins. From this point on, no longer is the church mentioned, like I said, thereon, but everything that we see in the timeline that was previous to this. Well, if you say, if you read that, you're going to find out that what is mentioned within that time is the saints. But the Bible describes those saints as being those that would not receive the mark during the time of the tribulation period. 
The other thing that I noticed through this of what does happen during the tribulation period is God sends the two witnesses to preach for those times. And I thought about that. If the church was left to remain, and I know we're under tribulation and all the things that are going on, where's the voice of God being spoken? Because what I'm thinking is God has a purpose for us all the time. God sends those two witnesses to preach because there is an absence of God, an absence of preaching. And I'm thinking if there are millions, millions of Christians, where is their voice? And if they have no voice, they have no purpose. Because that is what we are. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Let me show you when we are mentioned again. We jump all the way to chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and them that sat upon it was called Faithful and True. And we jump down to where we just read this, but we jump down to verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. And notice this. We are coming, and the thing that I want to emphasize and point out, at this point we are coming with him. With him, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. The only ones that had to be made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and clothed in his white raiment of righteousness is us. Not the angels, not anybody else or any other symbolism that's there is us. And so you look at that and I, all sorts of questions come here. And I think... If this is the second coming of Christ, my hand goes up and say, where in this passage is the calling up or calling out of the church? It's not. So if Thessalonians gives us the doctrine of saying the calling out or to be raptured or to be caught up with the Lord, and then we read this, we don't see a calling out, we see a coming down of the church to reign and to come and to conquer. Because here's the thing, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. That's what God has promised and told us. Now, I've heard different things and different people throw out different ideas that could be there and said, well, have you ever thought of maybe the crowns that are mentioned of those in Revelation chapter 4 that they're casting their crowns before the throne of God? That could referencing and that could be mentioning those that are already in heaven. And I said, okay, that's good. But the question that I'd have to return and ask you, then when is our turn? Because no longer is there. All it says is there and maybe it's just not mentioned. But all the things that Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. It's what he's given us to finish the course and to be rewarded for us to do that. So the first thing that I wanted to kind of lay out is the timeline. You study the timeline of what's in the Bible and these things just scream out and say, this is what's there. I go back and say, what about mid-trib? You kind of looked at pre-trib and post-trib, but what about those mid-trib? I'd have to get into that and I'd have to ask you in the middle of the tribulation period, if Thessalonians gives us the doctrine of being called out, where is that in mid-trib either? You read through Revelation giving detail. I mean detail, detail, detail of what is to happen. Why did he skip the most important promise that was given to us in the Gospels of being called out? And it's not mentioned. So the thing is, I could believe the theory of mid-trib, but you'd have to show me in here for me to even lean in that direction. Second thing that I want to pull out. Out of the four. And, and that was probably the longest point. I, I, I want to mention the idea. Of the power of Satan. See what we know about the tribulation period. Of why he is so powerful. Is Satan takes over. I mean I want you guys to get that. He comes to deceive. His prophet is the antichrist. He opens the pits of hell. All of these things that happen. Is because Satan takes over. 
I'm going to read things that I do know about Scripture, and I do know about you and I, and I'm going to read through these verses, and I want you to listen. Matthew 16, 18 says about us, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isaiah 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. I take you to John chapter 4, verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I take you to Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The question that I have of you, if we are here during the tribulation period, none of these things make sense any longer. Because the idea is we cannot stand against he is loosed. He is given power. He is, is it's, it would be <coughs> fighting an enemy, an, an, an enemy <laughs> that was given to us by God to begin with. We are dealing with problems that are being inflected by God himself because the very thing that we're fighting against is the wrath of God. You know, you can't stop to pray about the very thing that God willed to happen. Satan takes control. There is no longer standing against the devil. If he could be defeated, then there would be no tribulation period. If he could be de de defeated, then, then we would be overcomers. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, and this will be up there. And listen to these words as we read through there. And like I said, if we're taking Revelation, then we're taking the doctrines that were given to the local church to stand upon so that we would know. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the gathering unto him... So we know what we're talking about. That ye be soon not shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word or letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. The man of sin shall be revealed in the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, let me ask you the question, why is the God of this world able to do what he is about to do? He is restricted at this point. You, you want to know why the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church? Because we have the Holy Spirit and the word of God to stand against him. What, what, that's, that's what that power of that verse is talking about. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against that. He is speaking that to his disciples. He's speaking that to us. But Satan at this time is not allowed to. You know why the gates of hell cannot be opened like it's described in, in the book of Revelation? Because Satan can't. Even if he wanted to devour us and, and, and seek us out, he can't. Because he's got God's hand sitting there saying, oh no you don't. You say, prove it, let me show you. Verse 5, remember ye not, not that when I was first yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he that might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he whom now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. You know what God was saying? He said, I, 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 I am going to restrict and hold back Satan and everything that he's doing. And the only thing that can change that is the Spirit of God doing that. And we know what the Spirit of God is. We know how the word, Spirit of God works. It's not a ghost floating around here. The Bible says, and I will dwell in them. 
and I will be their God. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. When we say God is with us today, it's not a matter of us kind of coming to the Shekinah glory of God and have pull back the curtains of the Holy of Holies. It's not a matter of us meeting with God. God is already in us. And I know you say when we come to church, we're coming to meet with God. But the, the prayer is that you brought God in with you as the Spirit of God meets with Christians gathering together. That is the assembly of the church. Verse 8, and then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And I remind you once again, and that's why the God said about the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The next thing that I want to get in is talking about the wrath of God on his people. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, much more than being now justified by his, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we then, being the enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the son of his death, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, we shall also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have now rejoiced in atonement. <clears throat> now we get into this subject, and a lot of people, and I saw even as I was walking here, a video popped up, and I, I've been researching because I want to know both sides. I, I honestly do. I don't want to walk in here blindsided of saying, well, this is what we believe. And a lot of people coming back and saying, well, the wrath that it's talking about is hell. But not, not tribulation, but the wrath of God is referring to hell. And I do believe that hell is the wrath of God. I mean, who can deny that? It is. They shall be poor, uh, thrown in for everlasting punishment. But I can't say that without showing you that the wrath of God is the tribulation period as well. And saying that God said that I'll save them from the wrath to come. So Revelation chapter 6 verse 17, and I'll prove it. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? So why is that a big deal? Because God has made me a promise. He has saved me from the wrath to come. Not by me, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, all through that passage that he says that. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying of the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out vials of the earth upon the earth, of God upon the earth. The very depiction of the revelation of what's to come is God pouring out his wrath upon those that rebelled. Now, I know people come back and say, whoa, 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 I know that. But the thing that you could come back and say is those that are on the earth during that time, those that remain on the earth that did not accept the mark of the beast, and the Bible says they have the seal of Christ, or the seal of God in their foreheads, and that's a whole other thing to get into. But those were saved from that outpouring of the wrath. But let me remind you, from Revelation mid-trib uh, mid all the way through the end, the world falls apart. I'm, I'm talking about if you were to go into it and describe every detail, it, which would take hours to get into the world, I mean, it is literally hell on earth. And I'm not saying that it's slang. I'm saying that literally it is hell on earth that God does that. Let me remind you, we are the children of God. And I want to play this card of saying, oh, that throws everything away, because you say that God has never promised that Christians would not go through tribulation. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
These are the passages that I come to where I'm thinking I'm saved and everything and I'm, I'm approaching the tribulation period. And every day I would dread the end. I would dread and fear what was to come because I know what I have to go through and take my children. Honestly, in my flesh, I would never have children. If I knew that I was going to have children born to walk into the tribulation period, and you say that you're just being carnal. You're right. I'm absolutely, I'm talking to you as a dad. I want it. But see, the difference is as I have peace because I have Jesus Christ has spoken to me that I might have peace. In the world, I will have tribulation, but I can be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. God has promised that we are joint heirs of him as king. In Matthew 7, 11, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good gifts unto them that ask him? So why are you mentioning that? I'm just asking you, let's, let me play the dad role for just a minute. If you were in control and you had that, and you had the control of when you were going to call your children home, I'd have to ask you once again, I'm not questioning God. I'm just saying, what kind of God would send his children through that when God is specified through this, that me being a good dad knows how to give good to my children? Think about the passage and read it in context of the seven years of tribulation. And this, we're going to close with this thought. And that is that no man knows the day nor the hour. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, For yourselves know perfectly that in the day of the Lord... So cometh as a thief in the night. Please keep that in mind. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But that day and the hour knoweth no man. No, now listen to this. Not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So why are you bringing that out? Emphasizing not even the angels in heaven know when God is going to return. Keep reading. Luke chapter 12, verse 40. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour that ye think not. I know that there are signs of the times. I know that the Bible says in the last days there will be a great falling away. Men shall be lovers of them own selves and there shall be wars and rumors of wars. Signs in the seas and the seas roaring. All the different things that the Bible says. But let me tell you, when it comes to the book of Revelation, it is a detailed outline with a time. The Bible starts off with a schedule. The Bible lays out the schedule, the four horsemen, the, the trumpet judgment, the vile judgment. They are listed in order, in detail as to what's to come. Then the Bible gives us the description of the halfway point. Now listen to this as I read this. Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things of blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Power was given unto him for forty two months described in the book of revelation from this point on a set period to the end you say why are you doing this because of the tribulation period we're going to go through the tribulation period then we don't we do know the day and the hour to the to the minute because the bible has given it to us at halfway point you say well we don't know when that halfway point is but the angels in heaven do they're the ones pouring out the judgment the Bible says the angels in heaven don't even know the day nor the hour. None, no, nobody does. So all of that, the fact that the Bible says that he's coming as a thief in the night, the fact that the Bible says no man knows the day, 
The Bible says he's going to come at an hour that you think not. I'm going to just venture to say, if I have scorpions with tails running around chasing people to kill them, I'm going to say, I think it's getting close. (laughs) that, That might be one of those sure signs that I can count down and you say, how do you know? Just change the page to chapter 16 and keep following it along. And if the rapture happens at the end of it, you already know exactly when he's coming. But the Bible says that we do not know when he is coming. The Bible says that no man knows the day nor the hour or even has an assumption. Now let me ask you this. Will Christians go through the tribulation period? And I know there's so much more that we could get into. But the answer from my heart would be absolutely not. But let me close with another question to ask you this. And we will pick up next week. Will Christians face tribulation? And the answer is absolutely yes. I know that we're not ready for this. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, this also know that in the last days, perilous times shall come. In the last days. And he says in verse 12 this, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to get worse before it gets better. You don't believe me? Go home tonight and turn on your news. And I, I see how Fox News was just booted off one of the channels. Did you guys see that? Because Fox News is willing to stand up and say things that other stations won't say. We, we are facing a day where, I mean, you, you can't even figure out. Uh, they're, they're wanting to take the symbol of boy and girl bathrooms off the door and gender neutral and taking, I mean, everything that God said was the foundation of this. You say, well, how does that mean anything? Because the Bible says in the days of Noah. And another time he gives the example is the day in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know what those two things had in common? They, they got to the immorality. And I know they defiled God and they did all the different things and they had other gods and stuff. But what the bottom line was, when the foundation that God established in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 of husband and wife was the very beginning, we, Sodom and Gomorrah, did away with that. The days of Noah, they did away with that. Today, America has done away with that. We are ticking down to the end. And the Bible says, if their foundations be destroyed, the very foundation of mankind is man and woman in marriage. Be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? The day is upon us. But I wonder if we're ready for what is to come.